Hey y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means you might hear two hosts. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to this day in history class. It is July 3rd, and an artifact called the Phaistos Disc was unearthed on this day in 1908. Here are some highlights of this history mystery. The Phaistos Disc was found during a dig at the Old Palace of Minoan Phaistos, and that's on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean Sea. And it was actually found in a basement of one of the buildings, not in the actual palace itself. So the Minoans, if you're not familiar with them, They were an ancient civilization that flourished from roughly 3,500 to 5,000 years ago. And they were very known for making great palaces, just enormous, beautiful palaces, as well as their written language and their artwork. So this disc is roughly 3,700 years old, so toward the end of the Minoan civilization. It's made of fired clay, about 16 centimeters or six and a half inches across, and it's not completely regular. The thickness varies a little bit, as does the diameter. It's etched on both sides in this spiral pattern that's made up of 45 repeating symbols for 240 symbols total. So imagine kind of a clay frisbee with a spiral pattern and a lot of little symbols on it. These symbols are all stamped, and it also looks like there are places where somebody made a stamp and then rubbed it out to do it over or perhaps replace it with a different stamp. And both of the sides of the disc have one symbol at the center, and then they progress outward from there. On side A, it looks like a simple flower. And on side B, it's more like an abstract symbol of wavy lines and a rounded triangle. The spiral lines that go to the center and some other dots and dashes were all done by hand and not with a stamp, or at least that's how it looks. But there are so many things we don't know about this thing. There's a debate over which direction you should read it. Do you start with the symbols in the center and work out? Or do you work from the outside and work in? And what do the symbols represent? Some of them are really obvious pictograms. They look like real things out in the world. But other ones are really a lot more symbolic, not sure what they might represent. Some people have suggested that the symbols might represent syllables. But according to linguists, they're not arranged in a pattern that makes sense if they're symbols. Other people have said maybe they are an alphabet. But 45, that's a lot of characters for an alphabet. So people are not quite sure about that either. So in spite of all these things that we don't know, a whole lot of people have said that they have cracked the code. And in today's era, these are usually accompanied by great trumpeting headlines proclaiming Phaistos Disc Decoded. It's more like people claim Phaistos Disc Decoded. The most recent of these is from 2014, when Dr. Gareth Owens and Professor John Coleman concluded that the disc maybe contains a prayer to a Minoan goddess. Not trying to diss their work, just saying, believes. Not really a, we definitely cracked the code. There are also some people who think that this is all a fraud. That was the conclusion of Jerome Eisenberg, who's the director and owner of the Royal Athena Galleries in New York and an expert on ancient art. He made that Uh, claim in 2008. His hypothesis is that Luigi Pernier, who's the person who discovered this disc, fabricated the whole thing because he was envious that his colleagues were making these great discoveries and he wasn't. So testing could pretty easily determine whether this disc is something that was made in 1908 or if it was instead made thousands of years ago. The problem is that the museum in Crete, where this is housed, would prefer it not be tested. 
they make the legitimate point that it's impossible to test it without in some way possibly damaging it. People have talked about some non-invasive methods of testing, but most of the testing methods involved do involve taking just a tiny, tiny amount of the actual disk, and the museum is not willing to allow that. So Eisenberg contends that it's not about preserving the disk, that the museum is just worried about losing out on tourism dollars if if it turns out that this whole thing is a hoax. You can learn more about the Facedos disk and the Minoan civilization on the August 3rd, 2015 episode of Stuff You Missed in History class called The Facedos Disk of Minoan Crete. And you can subscribe to the Stay in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Tomorrow, we have a subject that's not about American Independence Day, but it is appropriate for it. Hello, welcome to This Day in History class, where we dust off a little piece of history every day. The day was July 3rd, 1938. The London Northeastern Railway Class A4 No. 4468 Mallard set the record for highest speed ever ratified for a steam locomotive when it reached 126 miles per hour or 201 kilometers per hour. Mallard was the 28th of the 35 A4 class of express locomotives designed by Sir Nigel Gressley when he was the chief mechanical engineer of the London and Northeastern Railway, or LNER. It was built in March of 1938, and it had a streamlined, wedge-shaped design. It usually operated on the East Coast Line. The A4 class of locomotives were more efficient than previous locomotives, shortening the trip time from London King's Cross to Newcastle. The LMS coronation held the disputable British steam record, as it was claimed to have reached 114 miles per hour. And in 1936, Germany's DRG Class 5 locomotive set the world speed record for steam locomotives when it reached 124.5 miles per hour on the Berlin-Hamburg line. Gressley and a team of engineers began modifying the locomotive to beat the speed record. Mallard was chosen to set the world speed record because it was one of three A4 locomotives that had special exhaust arrangements, which included a double blast pipe chimney. Mallard also had a Flamand speed recorder, a device that indicated the current speed of a vehicle and recorded it on paper tape. On Sunday, July 3, 1938, driver Joe Duddington attempted to set the world speed record for railways with Mallard. The attempt was carried out during trials of a new quick-acting brake. The test run would be between Grantham and Lincolnshire and Peterborough and Cambridgeshire. Mallard was hauling seven coaches weighing 267 U.S. tons or 243 metric tons with officials and equipment aboard. There were three twin-articulated carriages and a dynamometer car, which contained instruments that recorded the locomotive's speed. Fireman Thomas Bray was also on board. The remaining crew and technical team weren't told that the trip was an attempt to beat the world speed record until after the train's northbound run from Woodgreen, North London. 
Notably, nobody from the LNER magazine was aboard, so the magazine had to use an account from the Railway Gazette. Mallard went through Grantham Station at 24 miles per hour, then accelerated up to 60 miles per hour over the next two and a half miles, eventually reaching 75 miles per hour. As Mallard went down Stoke Bank, the dynamometer card recorded the speed at 120 miles per hour, beating the British steam record. The train would soon have to slow down at the Essendine curves, but there was a little time to accelerate before that point. So the crew did, and the train made it to 126 miles per hour, beating the world record. It maintained a speed between 123 and 126 miles per hour for nearly two miles. It was possible they could have gone faster had they not had to slow at Essendine. Shortly after Mallard set the record, the force from the brakes caused Mallard's big end bearing for the middle cylinder to overheat, and it had to go slow into Peterborough. It then had to go into the workshop for repairs. Mallard retired from service in 1963. Between 1982 and 1988, it was restored to working order and completed runs until 1989. Mallard still officially holds the world record, though others have made unsubstantiated claims of reaching faster locomotive speeds. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If there's something that I missed in an episode, you can share it with everybody else on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. We'll be back with more history tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.